Hunter had a heart of gold anyone from his childhood or adult life could confirm. He was kind, funny, charismatic, selfless, loyal, and always tried to find the positive in any situation, in turn doing his best to block out the negatives, which is where his addiction came into play. Drugs offered Hunter an escape from his demons he faced throughout his life. On July 23, 2019, he overdosed on heroin laced with fentanyl and was on life support for four days before he woke up. After being released from the hospital, Hunter went and completed drug rehab and started a new life back in Jacksonville, Florida. He thrived after moving to Florida. He started a job as a valve tech at Flotech and went fishing every chance he got. He loved spending his days outside on the water with his roommates. His family would like to speak the truth about his death. Silence would mean Hunter's death was in vain. But if one person's life is saved by his story, we would tell it a million more times. On this episode of Outside Counsel, we interview Christy Cuvalier, a loving mother who lost her son Hunter to an opioid overdose only one month ago. You'll learn that we found her because she wrote Hunter's obituary, and in it, she tells the story with enormous candor and courage that he died of an opioid overdose and what she understood his journey to be from addiction to recovery to overdose. We find out that she obtained his autopsy results today, this morning, before the interview and what they revealed. She describes that she herself is in recovery from opioid addiction. She said in the obituary she wrote for Hunter that if Telling his story saves even one life. She would tell his story a million times. I am Jeffrey B. Simon, and this is Outside Counsel. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm Jeffrey B. Simon, and welcome to Outside Counsel. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I live in Lafayette, Louisiana. I've been here since uh, right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, I've raised my three kids here. I had three kids, uh, Hunter, Ashton, and Elijah. How did uh, Hurricane Katrina bring you to Lafayette, Louisiana? <laughs> Actually, I got married to somebody that was from here. So we just kind of, as everybody was leaving, we came in. So we just kind of came in about the same time. As you know, when when we saw some news coverage about the obituary you wrote upon the death of your son, Hunter. We said to ourselves, that is somebody our audience needs to meet. Will you tell us a little bit about Hunter? Hunter was my firstborn. He was my first love. He was a mama's boy. I have another son, but Hunter was definitely a mama's boy. He was kind, he was funny, he was smart. He played sports. Uh, he loved the outdoors ever since he was little. Um, he's had a fascination with bugs and alligators and snapping turtles and just any kind of creature he could get his hands on since he was itty bitty. He was always constantly bringing things in the house. He was just a good kid. He was really a good kid. He clearly loved life, embraced his curious mind. He did. Yeah. 
2019, Hunter had been messing with drugs a little bit, marijuana, alcohol, just kind of teenage stuff, young adult stuff. He got wrapped up in, I guess, the lifestyle. That's what he said, the lifestyle. And uh, the third time that he had ever snorted heroin, he ended up overdosing on it. Um, and it was laced with fentanyl. He was 19. My, his sister found him. And um, he was put on life support. I believe he was on life support for four days, three days, four days. I thought at that moment, I thought that was the worst moment of my life. But it, he, he did pull through. And um, he immediately agreed to, to go to treatment. When Hunter was 19, he had an overdose event where he had snorted heroin. Yes. And was that heroin laced with fentanyl? Um, at the time, the detectives and the cops, they didn't, I guess, because there wasn't a death. There was no real further investigation after that. What they showed me in the cellophane just looked like a crushed white pill. I do know that he tested positive for fentanyl in the hospital. And I know that when he woke up, he had no knowledge of taking fentanyl, I would assume, but nothing was done on an investigation level. Tell us a bit, please, about who Hunter was as a person and in his life at that time in 19. In other words, was he living in your home? Was he living in another? Was he living in Lafayette, you know, in this, at least in the same city where you live and so forth? He, he lived um, in Lafayette. Uh, he was not living with me at the time. Um, I was trying to do tough love. Um, I was just doing tough love and, and I wouldn't let him come here because I had other children in the home at the time. Yeah, it's, if you're gonna, live here you can't do it and he chose to leave so he was not living me at, living with me at the time of his overdose in 2019. okay had he ever at that time gotten any treatment for uh, his drug use no i would say at that time i felt like he was walking a very fine line um because it started more with the money and the lifestyle and not necessarily um the drugs the day before he overdosed he had come to my house and um he wanted to stay and I told him that he couldn't because I, I could tell you he didn't he didn't look real good. And um so I told him he had to leave or I was gonna call the police on him. And he left. And I was just doing what I thought was the right thing. Um and he went and stayed with his sister who was living in an apartment a little more than half a mile from me. And um that morning about six o'clock she called me and told me that he wasn't breathing. And um, I got to her apartment immediately and called 911 and um, attempted to do CPR, but I just froze um, and called 911. So you saw him unconscious from the overdose? Yeah. Uh, what happened next? He was taken to the hospital what do you what do you remember next? Um, he was taken to the hospital, and um, it was kind of touch and go. Um, when you overdose, I didn't realize that all these other things start happening. Um, you know, like with his kidneys and his liver, and just um, he got a fever. It was just a, a lot of things. Like we would get a little bit of hope that he was feeling better, and then he would just something else would go wrong. Um, but he did 
end up pulling through, like I said, after about four days and um, stayed in the hospital for about a week until he ended up got pneumonia. And from there he went to treatment. I participated in all the family counseling, everything that they do in treatment. I wouldn't say I was fully set that he was a full-blown addict, if that makes sense. At the time, I felt like he just got wrapped up in the wrong thing. So after his stint in treatment, he decided to move to Jacksonville, Florida um, and work with my uncle. We have some extended family out there. He just constantly was at work or on the water. He's passed regular drug tests for work. Um, I've seen him. I've not had any uh, suspicions that he was using again. It was something that we openly talked about on a regular basis. Being here in Lafayette, the fentanyl is just, it's out of control. So, I mean, constantly I was calling him about friends that were passing away that still lived here. He knew the drill. He knew all of that. Um, So I I don't believe that he was using it just very shortly before he passed. Did he share experiences with you from his rehabilitation treatment? Yeah, I was working in a treatment center myself when he went to treatment. Um, So I was familiar with the process. Um, Hunter was very open to me about everything. Um, So he was very open about the whole process. So he's working and thriving and coming home and visiting and all in all seems good. In July, his, I actually uh, flew his 14-year-old brother. He flew his 14-year-old brother out to spend about four or five days with him. They went fishing, um, had a great time. The last two and a half years, I had a great relationship with Hunter. And um, from his first overdose until um, he passed, I watched him live his best, his best life. I don't know what he was thinking that day. I don't, I don't know. What do you understand happened that day and how did you learn about it? Um, the detectives had showed up to his job and, um, my uncle called my fiance and I found out when I got home, I lost a piece of me that day that is gone forever. Do you know where the fentanyl laced drug came from? Who sold it to him? In 2019, I guess because he didn't die, there was not any investigation. They have like a Good Samaritan law here. So when people call to aid to somebody that's in an overdose, they kind of just don't really ask a whole lot of questions. So he was never interviewed, to my knowledge, about any of that. And I'm sure he probably wouldn't have said anything. The current right now is, is under investigation now. I'm hopeful that um, I'll get some answers and some justice there. In the obituary that you wrote now just a month ago, you talk about not just events leading up to his death, but this overdose event from three years ago. Obviously, you see it as part of the cycle that led to his death. Tell me what, what... what motivated you to include that event in an obituary? Um, just because it was the truth. Um, yeah. So many, um, being in the recovery community myself, I see a lot of the times that um, how society just kind of pushes it under the rug, um, how parents are, are um, 
you know, made to feel like it's a parenting issue. Um, I just wanted to be honest. I wanted to be honest because anybody, anybody that knew my son personally knew he was a great guy. And I just wanted people to see that even though he was a great guy, like it could happen to the best of us. It doesn't discriminate. It it doesn't, um, you know, Hunter was loved. If love could stop addiction, then I mean, you know, you wouldn't have, this would have never happened. It's not about that. Um, so my motive was just to be real honest with everything, um, as painful as it was. I didn't want to hide anything and I didn't want to lie. And I wasn't ashamed of my son. Right. Addiction is a disease. Love itself doesn't fix it. Willpower itself doesn't fix it. If somebody dies from cancer, the obituary might say this is a three, you know, fought bravely for three years with cancer until succumbing to the disease. And you just intuitively understood this was a three-year battle with opioid addiction. Yeah, and just, um, I had recently just stopped sleeping with my phone on. I just recently didn't freak out if I had my phone on silent overnight. Like I just got to the point of um, really feeling like we were past all that. Um, he was, you know, he didn't have a girlfriend, but he was, you know, talking about one day being married and returning home to Lafayette when he got married and um, talk brightly about his future. And I was blindsided, um, just blindsided. You're very candid about the fact you have personally suffered with opioid addiction in your life. Will you tell us about that? I grew up in Florida um, years ago when it was very easy to get opiates in Florida. From pain clinics? Yes, yes. It wasn't, uh, when I moved to Lafayette, it wasn't a big big thing, but I did get right back, back on uh, prescription opiates. And um, when I got cut off of pain management, I did go back to heroin for a brief period. How long have you been in recovery? Uh, five years and two months and a couple weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. Going back to your experience, uh, about how old were you when you uh, became addicted to prescription opioids? Uh, prescription, probably about 19. So you were experiencing kidney stones, which of course is extremely painful, and a doctor prescribed prescription opioids to you? Yes. Early 2000s to about 2005 when I moved to Louisiana, I quit for a while and then hurt my back and got put back on uh, narcotic pain uh, opiates. It was, you know, I was married and I had kids, so it was easier to say I was addicted to pain medication that came from a doctor because, you know, at that time, nobody really understood addiction and the opiate. So I think people just kind of burst it off because it was prescribed. It was, it was never fun. You know, people don't just, oh, I'm going to go take some opiates. You know, it, it happens so fast and literally just in a couple of days, like your body can be addicted. Going back to your recovery from opioid addiction, did I understand you to say you worked in a treatment center? 
I did. I did for about a year. I worked in a treatment center. I'm very active in the recovery community here in Lafayette. One of the greatest gifts that recovery gave me before Hunter passed was my relationship with my kids and that I was able not to break promises to them anymore. And um, before they shut his casket, I, I promised him that I was going to stay focused on my recovery. I'm not going to let addiction take another person away from my kids. Christy, going back to when you were prescribed OxyContin as a young person, a patient with a, a very painful kidney stone, did you even know that heroin was an opioid at that time? No, I didn't understand. I was in 2000, I was 20, right. you know, 21, 22 years old. I didn't even put them on the same page. Now, did you go to the doctor to get an opioid or just to get pain relief? At first, the, when I first was prescribed, it was, I had kidney stones. I, I think I, I think I was in the hospital, actually, is how I got them. And then after that, like I had seen a urologist and so I had a little bit of like getting them. And then, you know, if you're familiar with all of the opiates in, in Florida in the early 2000s, it was just pain management clinics everywhere. When I, once I got that feeling and, and I liked it, it was just, that was it. One of the ways in which illicit fentanyl is killing so many Americans who suffer from opioid addiction is that when they can't get it from a physician anymore, when they've been cut off, they're still in heaving withdrawal and have to get an opioid. What do you have to, to say to someone who says, oh, come on, prescription opioid addiction doesn't lead to heroin use? And I hope that's something that they never have to experience. I can understand why somebody would think that, but I've lived it. And when you are on a medication, whether it's prescribed, I'm, I'm not saying that I even took the medication as prescribed. You know, I always ran out before. Um, you will do anything just to feel better. I had a job every day where I went to work. I worked in an office. Like I had a good job. I went on every field trip with my kids. Nobody looking at me would have ever suspected that I was doing heroin or struggling with opiate addiction at all. I think it's just so quick and easy just to give somebody some pain medicine. You know, I've had some procedures. I've had surgery in recovery and was not on any pain medicine and, and been very upfront with my doctors. And then I've gone to doctors and been upfront about my recovery and they still offer me pain medicine. So I just think that uh, their motives were pushing narcotics. It's money-based, I would assume. Do you know whether or not there are tests that a person who is using drugs can implement to see whether or not the drug is laced with fentanyl? Yes, I did do some work a little bit with harm reduction um, here in Lafayette. Any kind of drug, you're able to test it. I'm just a firm believer in, in giving the community fentanyl testing strips and having Narcan available and people being educated on it. Because it's not as simple as just telling someone, don't do drugs. It's, it's just not that simple. I got clean because of Narcan. I was narcan you know, had been narcan several times. And on that last time, I, I decided to do something different. So yes, absolutely. Some people think it's enabling an addict, but it's only enabling an addict to breathe. That's it. What have we not talked about that you want our audience to understand before we finish this discussion? I, I really want parents to be educated 
that your child doesn't have to have a history of drug use. So you could have a straight A student that simply uh, goes out and takes a, a party drug or a pill. It kills them. Like I, I, I'm blown away at how many people just believe that people can die from fentanyl only if they're IV drug users or heroin addicts. Um, and that's just simply just not the case. I know for a fact my son never experienced IV drug use at all, you know, and he overdosed twice and one time it was fatal. And, and when I tell people what it was that detectives told me that he took, they are just blown away that fentanyl is in it. It was ecstasy laced with fentanyl? Yes. I got his, uh, result, uh, his autopsy results back this morning. In Hunter's obituary, you wrote, in honor of Hunter's life, we ask that the truth be spread in regards to this epidemic and awareness be raised. Silence would mean Hunter's death was in vain. But if one person's life is saved by his story, we would tell it a million more times. You wrote so beautifully and so powerfully, Christy. What truths about opioid use do you feel not enough people understand yet? That it, it can happen to just anyone. Um, it doesn't matter what college you went to, who your parents are, how much money you have. Nobody's exempt. Christy, we want you to know that on Outside Council, we share your mission. The goal of improving and hopefully saving lives with hard truths about the opioid epidemic and hope for the future. I'm not sure, even though it's my business to express words that have meaning and inform that I can find the right ones that would adequately thank you for your courage and your candor uh, and your grace. I, we just thank you more than, than I can find words to, to, to express, but I, I hope that the strength of my sentiment is coming through. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everything that you're doing to fight back. You know, we need more people like you. Definitely. I appreciate that very much. If you come across a mom that's struggling, feel free to give them my number. I'd love to talk to them. If somebody needs help getting treatment, I'll do the best I can to try to find somebody help. You know, I I couldn't save my son, but uh, if I can do something else for somebody else's child, I'd be honored. This is not how you wanted to become a hero, but I want you no. to know you are one. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. We know the pain of his suffering. We know the pain of our own suffering as his family. And we know that there are hundreds of other people here in our community suffering as addicts or loved ones to them. Speaking the truth, no matter the circumstances surrounding the epidemic of drug use, may be the difference between life and death for someone. In honor of Hunter's life, we ask that the truth be spread in regards to this epidemic and awareness be raised. you or someone you know is struggling with opioids, please visit www.addictioncenter.com to learn more about the available resources in your community. This podcast is produced by Shannon McDees of Revel and Convey and Larry Shivana. The opinions expressed on outside counsel are neither legal nor medical advice. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers, guests, experts, and or host. 
They do not expressly nor necessarily reflect the opinion of any institution with which I am or ever have been a member and should never be attributed as such. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Outside Council. I'm Jeffrey B. Simon.